is from the uh, seventh chapter, first few verses of the book of Matthew. Chapters 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew are called the Sermon on the Mount. I like to refer to them as the constitution and bylaws of the kingdom of God because the primary message that Jesus preached all the time that he was here was about the kingdom of God. It was so misunderstood, and I think still is, by sincere Christian people. Because Israel thought it was all about them. And uh, God had to explain what his kingdom was, and, and that was Jesus' primary message. And, the, and life within the kingdom is to be substantially different than it is just in the world where we're living. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So understand this. If you aren't a Christian and you're here today, this message isn't about you. You're welcome to listen and to aggravate uh, people sitting around you if they get sleepy or whatever, but this isn't about you. The Constitution and bylaws of the kingdom of God is for, for followers of Jesus Christ. And what he expects of them if they're going to be part of his people. And, and, and I, it was interesting this week, I talked to a couple of preachers. And I just quoted that first verse of the seventh chapter, which we'll read in a second. And they said, well, you can't do that. You, you, you have to make judgments. And I said, well, Jesus screwed up again, I guess. <laughs> because this is what he said. Do not judge. Now, what he's talking about is each other. How do we treat each other? Do not judge, or you also or two will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you'll be judged. And with the same measuring stick you use, it will be measured to you. Now, he's not saying that you will be judged for what the same sin or whatever weakness or whatever you see in a brother, but you'll be judged by yours and using the same measuring stick. So now he uses what's called a hyperbole, a figure of speech that's an exaggeration to prove a point. He says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck out of your brother's eye. Now, what Jesus is trying to get across to us here is the tendency we have to judge people. It's a natural tendency. It's a part of the flesh. It's a part of the lower nature, and we'll study this as we go along. You expect this from people who aren't Christians, but for the Christians, it is absolutely one of the two or three prohibitions. And we'll see why as we study. So, 
I purposely put in, and I want you to take your notes and look at them and follow along. I purposely put in an old Eddard saying, for those of you who know who Lum Eddard and uh, Lum and Abner were. This is an old Eddard saying. It, is, it says, to err is what? And to forgive is divine. Okay, keep that in mind because that's exactly where we're going. Now, the, on, your, on the first, uh, on number one in your outline there, it says that a born again Christian has dual citizenship. Not dual, ta -ta 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 -ta, but two citizenships. He is, of course, a citizen of the world in which we're living. That's obvious. But the standards of the world in which we're living are substantially different from the standards of the kingdom of God. And you and I are expected to pursue for our own lives the standards of the kingdom of God. Now, the reputation of the church universal is this, by unbelievers and, and, and the uh, series that Rick has put together here, I object, if you're a non-Christian, I object to the fact that Christians are so judgmental. So I don't want to be a part of that. Get better fellowship at Joe's Bar and Grill. And I don't even get grilled there. So you, you, if you follow me closely here, I, I hope that for one thing that I can do is to be clear in making the message of Jesus and his expectations for those of us who have been born twice, born of your mom and dad and born of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit then who takes residence in the converted body of an individual. And here's what he's saying to us. You live in a world, but you're not to let that, the, the values of this world govern your life. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you're, you are to adopt, pursue the values of the kingdom of God and apply them to your life. And that'll take all of your life. So here's what he says concerning this world in which we're living. In the fifth chapter of 1 John, starting at verse 15, he says this. Um, Or, or, or I'm sorry, in the second chapter of 1 John, starting at verse 15, he says this. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in this world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of the eyes, the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. And he's applying here, and he's already identified who the prince of this world is. It's Satan himself. So the world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God will live forever. You're promised eternal life through the second birth. Now, he, also, he, he keeps on this subject, if you go over into the fourth chapter, and in uh, verse 5, he says this. Well, let me, uh, yeah, this 5, that'll do. They, meaning the people who are not believers, 
are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. And this is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Now, so he's saying, okay, we live in a sinful world governed by sinful principles that appeal to the natural desires of an unconverted person. That's the world we live in. That's the newscast you hear all the time. And if we're not awfully careful, those of us who wear the name of Jesus will allow ourselves to listen to the wrong person. We're listening to the values of this world and therefore have very little influence for the kingdom of God, if any. I had... I told Rick when he signed this to me, I said, this ought to be the shortest sermon I I ever preach. Because you have said, why is it that non-Christians object to Christianity because they accuse the church of being hypocrites? The answer to that is, we're guilty. That's the problem. Our reputation is not that they were the most loving people on the face of the earth. Our reputation is that we look down on people that we think are not as good as we are. We need to address that. Now, I said at the outset of section one, we are all, each of us, according to the scriptures, have dual citizenship. When you go back to the, uh, the book of uh, Philippians, the Apostle Paul addresses that uh, just very straightforward. Um, in the third chapter, just verse 20 is enough. Here's what he says. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enabled him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. That's the promise of of the dual citizenship. Our citizenship is in heaven, and so we should be living up to, or at least pursuing, the values and the teachings of the kingdom of God if we're going to wear the name of Christ. There's an old illustration, and I hope the Lord, even though the Lord hints at this, there's an old illustration about Alexander the Great. There in his army, because he was just smashingly successful, he got word that there was someone in his army who had the same name as he. Alejandro and Alexander. And so Alexander, and he hears that more than one time in battle, he has broken and run and not done his part. Alexander calls him on the carpet. He said, what is your name? He said, sir, I'm Alexander. He said, is it true that you've broken and run a couple of times? He said, yes, I'm afraid it is. He said, here's the deal. You either change your behavior or change your name. And we as Christians sometimes need to have that firmly choice 
put between us, uh, put before us, because we need to choose. Are we going to adopt, pursue, and live according to the guidelines of the kingdom of God, according to what Jesus has laid out here, or not? Now. I think it's important that we understand that newborn Christians cannot be expected to live at the same level as mature Christians. We have to cut them some slack, folks. The only difference between a convert to Christ the next day after he's converted than he was the day before is now he's forgiven. But he has drug along with him all of the habits and stuff that he's accumulated from the world. And they're still hanging on to him. What does the old song say? That the Lord breaks the power of canceled sin and sets the prisoner free. That, that setting the prisoner free is almost a lifelong thing for all of us. If we're really honest. Because you see, when Jesus was talking about this, he understood the hearts and minds of people. And um, he was addressing that. It's interesting to me that when you go to the, into the book of Corinthians, the folks there had been Christians for a while when the Apostle Paul wrote 1 Corinthians to them. And he, but he addresses them here in the third chapter this way. Now, these folks have been Christians for a while, but their behavior doesn't show it. Their attitudes stink. They fuss among them. They say, well, my favorite preacher is this one. My favorite preacher is that. I was baptized by him. Or I, Paul said, I'm glad I didn't baptize any of you. I don't need people converted to Paul. I need them converted to Jesus Christ, and he should be the Lord of all of you, and you should be one in him. But they weren't. They had divisions among them. So he says this, brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for solid food. Indeed, you still aren't. You're still worldly. He's talking to Christians. You are still worldly. You're still living by the standards of this fallen world. And he's chastising them here. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? So it is possible to be a Christian, and especially newborn Christian, or one that's been retarded, because there are retarded Christians everywhere. They are, you, when they came out of their baptistry, their mind just went poof, off. And they haven't made any progress at all. So let's move on now to number two. A born-again Christian needs to, have, needs to choose. Am I going to live by the standards of the kingdom of God, or am I still going to live by the standards of the world in which I'm, I was born the first time? That choice has to be made. The book of Galatians deals with this probably uh, more clearly than any other single book in the New Testament. Here in the fifth chapter, verses 16, 17, 18, listen how, how, he, uh, 
how he addresses this. He says, so I say, live by the Spirit, and you'll not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. That's what we brought, that's what we lived into before we were converted. That's the stuff we drag into the kingdom uh, with us. It's the stuff that really slows us down, ruins our reputation, blah de Now, for the sinful, get this, for the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit. You remember Jesus saying to Peter, the Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. What is contrary to the Spirit, and this, uh, uh, the, the, rather, for the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They're in conflict with each other so that you don't know what you want. But if you're not led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. In other words, you don't live by the rules of right and wrong anymore. If you're being led by the Spirit, you don't have to worry about rules and regulations because you're going to do the right thing. And what he's wanting us to do is for the Holy Spirit who lives within us to be the dominating influence in our life. The single most dominating influence in our life. That's what Jesus said, you know, if you don't hate your mommy and your daddy and your brother and your sister and all that. He was talking about you cannot allow people to be more important to you than, than, and, and influence you more than the Holy Spirit. Because if you do, you're going to, pardon my grammar, screw up. Now, so here's what he's saying to us. And there are a couple other verses I probably need to read here. Uh, just back up to the 13th verse. He said, you, my brothers, were called to be free. Do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. And I would circle the word love because this is going to be the key word. The entire law is summed up in the single command, love your neighbors yourself. You keep on dividing and devouring each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. Folks, that's the history of the church. We see, we see each other as competitors, and we see each other as, uh, we'd like to put this and out of business so we get theirs, and it usually has to do more with money than it does anything else, unfortunately, but, uh, or crowds or whatever. The unity of the body of Christ has been broken because folks have too often followed the desires of the sinful nature rather than the kingdom of God. Now, if you are primarily influenced by the natural person, natural desires of the flesh you're going to be judgmental and you're going to condemn people in spite of the fact that Jesus uh, that the apostle Paul said in Romans 8 1 there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus and so we just trump him and do it ourselves and we've really messed up now, here's the problem, and that's what we read in, in the text at the outset. The problem is people who judge, according to Jesus, have an eye problem. And their problem is they got a tuba four in it. 
and they won't even recognize it. They have a tube before in it, and they're, they're looking for sawdust in somebody else's eyeball. This is a hyperbole where Jesus is really saying, Look, turkey, you've got enough problems of your own to work on without condemning and criticizing the other guy. That's what, he told, that's what he was telling us. And then the, I, I like what the Apostle Paul, I, I assume he had great influence. We really don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews, but I think the Apostle Paul had substantial influence on it. And in the 12th chapter there, uh, of, the, of the book of Hebrews, I really like the way he says this. We remember parts of the first verse, but not all of it, but we ought to. He says this, Therefore, which means set up and take lesson, so you, you who are non-Christians, God, the Christians, get them awake here. He says, since we're surrounded by such a cloud, a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us, which means to slow us down. And the sin that so easily entangles in running our race. What he's saying is, each one of us have a sin, may be different from the other guy, but we've got one that we wrestle with and influences us and we struggle with more than anything else. It might be greed. It, you know, more often with men, I understand men, women, I've never understood. I've got 56 years of marriage and I'm as confused now as I was the first day. So I can only say for the men, there's two things that we really have to struggle with. Money and sex. And sometimes it's sex and money. So each person is going to have to see which ones. It's, and you have to deal with it. And you have to be very careful in, 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 you know, in admitting it. Because if you stand up and just flatly say, you know, I'm, I'm 78 years old. And, and, and if the classy chassis walks by, I risk at least one eye. And most men do, but they're afraid to admit it. I love that commercial where this guy's driving along, you know, in his big Lexus or whatever it is, and some girl comes along the side of him in a red convertible with blonde hair blowing, and he... And the wife, who is the same one as in, said, A blonde? In a convertible? Really? The answer is, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the real answer. And so all of us, if we're really honest, have to admit, I don't care your age. You struggle with something somewhere. And we have a tendency to, to try to forget that and concentrate on the other guy. And Jesus is saying, you just blew it, buster. Because you've got more than you can handle with the two before in your own eyeball. And so, and, it, and, and, and here the Apostle Paul says the same thing. He's really talking about weights that slow you down in, your, in the pursuit of your spiritual life. And, and when I was a kid, I used to go to the old reliable Germantown Fair. And I'm not proud of the fact that I jumped the fence to get there. But I did, and then they had a big promenade, and inside of it was the horse show. And they had all these pretty horses that people would come from southern Ohio and from a long way off. 
And I, I learned there what they did is they would put heavy weights on the hooves of the horses and, and they would train them, you know, walking. And then when they got ready to put them in the, in, the, uh, in the arena to show them, they'd take the weights off so that they'd pick their feet up really fancy and go struggling around there, you know, and then the judges would evaluate them. The Apostle Paul is saying, as runners put weights on their feet and it slows them down, that's the way your particular sin does you. And all of you got one. But we sure enjoy picking on the other guy, which is a desire of the natural man. Now then, let's look at the spiritual man for a minute. According to, and as I told you, Galatians deals with this a lot and uh, because the struggle that they have then is the same as the struggle we have now. People haven't changed. Circumstances do a little bit, but uh, people are the same. So here in the book of Galatians in the sixth chapter, there's a, he says this. Okay, let's assume, and I picked on Rick last night because he's easy to pick on. But he's really a good guy, and so I can pick on him without having to worry about people thinking I'm being trying to shoot him. I've wanted to a few times, but I'm not talking about that now. He, let's assume that he does something world-class stupid, verging on sin, maybe even sinful. What should the attitude of the church be? Well, let me tell you what general it is. Hang that sucker out to dry. He's embarrassed us. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. But what does the Scripture say? What does the, what does the, the, how should Christians who are his brothers and sisters in his same family, how should we handle that? Galatians 6, brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual, meaning guided by the Holy Spirit, restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you will be tempted yourself. Why? Because if we're not careful, we think we're better than he is, and we're not. He just doesn't know what our sin was. And sometimes the sin of criticism and condemnation and judgment is worse than the sin they committed according to the kingdom of, of, of the bylaws of the kingdom of God. So he says this. What Christians do when a brother gets in trouble, and I tell you the one area where we do pretty good at this is if, if some kid has... Um, troubles with drugs we usually are pretty forgiving and we want to give them a hand get them in recovery give anything we can do to help them but, and that's the right attitude the right approach what we, we do with those kids is we give them a hand and try to lift them up we just got a call last night same problem and Alice Kay and I started praying for this youngster and his mommy and his daddy. They're not here today just because of that. But you see, that should be done everywhere. 
Here's a brother that's done something either stupid or sinful. The Christian attitude is give them a hand up. As long as they're trying, we ought to be trying to help them. So, and he says, so carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Do you know what the law of Christ is? It's a four-letter word. It's love. If you love him, you want to help him. If you're a self-righteous jerk, you'll, you'll condemn him. And Jesus makes this abundantly clear here in the seventh chapter. So, we've got a lot to learn here. I like, I want to go back, I flip-flop a little bit between 1 John and Galatians, simply because both of them deal with this subject. And I think pretty strongly, and, and, and all of us need to hear this, because every once in a while, uh, we just need to be reminded. Here in the fifth chapter of 1 John, he says this in verse 16. If anyone sees his brother commit a sin that does not lead to death, he should pray and God will give him life. So what's he saying? Okay, Rick, who did something either stupid or sinful, and we find out about it or he confesses it, the first thing we should do is to pray for him and give him a hand. Give him a hand up. That's, that's the guidelines of the kingdom of God. Us on, on the natural level will condemn him and want to hang a can on him and hope he doesn't go to Kentucky and mess him up over there. Because, you know, and, and so here you got the kingdom of this world and you have the kingdom of God. And they have two different standards. Too often the church has maintained the standards of this world. And our reputation as such among lots of people stinks. So here's what we're to do. We're to share. Here's the, here's the position we're to take. You and I are to share with each other what we have graciously received ourselves. And this principle is spelled out in Scripture in several different places. In 2 Corinthians, because the Corinthian church this was really a bunch of a, a just real turkeys. But Paul calls them brothers. So here's what he says to this Corinthian church that I read from later. He said, "Where I, I can't talk to you as though you're spiritual because you're yet carnal. And here's a principle that he gives them rather than criticizing and devouring one another. Here's what he says to do. I want you to share with each other what you have received. And he, here he uses comfort in particular. Here's what he says. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles. So that we, and why does he do that? So that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. And we do pretty good at that. There's a funeral this afternoon. We've got to feed 50 people. There's a tragic death of a young man with cancer, so on and so forth. In, in extending comfort in, in times of death, I think we do fairly well. It's in, and, and we're, we're, but we're supposed to make that just a broad-based principle of the kingdom of God. 
isn't always easy. Certainly conflicts with the natural person. So, and, and I, I pointed that out, and I also want to point out in that same uh, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus puts that, the concept of forgiveness, in the same category as he puts judgment. I found that interesting because he says, and I think this is really strong language, here in the sixth chapter, verses oh, uh, 14, 15, here's what he says. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive their sins, your heavenly Father won't forgive you either. In other words, you're going to face judgment. Now, this becomes an important issue because, you see, if we live according to the principles of the kingdom of God, God has said, this is when you stand before judgment, and we all do, not for our salvation, but for whatever is going to happen to us in the kingdom of God. Here's what he says. If you live by those principles and you face and you stand before me, you will be judged on not of the flaws and so on of your own life and the sin that so easily entangles you, so on and so forth, but you'll be judged on the qualities of Jesus himself who took our place. And so we will hear from him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in, a little, in, in the little things. I'm going to give you greater responsibilities. You've been faithful. Well done, well done, well done. But for those of you who are judgmental, those of you who have difficulty forgiving, you stand over here because you have to be judged on what you have lived. That's a scary thing. You're going to be carrying pots uh, uh, of whatever they put in pots uh, that the nurses carry around in the kingdom of God. I don't know what they're going to have you doing. Maybe you'll be cleaning out the barn. I don't know, but it ain't going to be good. You'll still get to heaven, but I'm telling you, it ain't going to be good. You need to understand that's what the Bible says. So you've got to get it in your head. This is what God himself has laid down for us. And we can't come up with, well, you've got to make judgments. No, you don't about each other. You might have, whether you're going to drive too fast or obey by the law, you might have judgments like that. But you're not to judge each other any time ever in the kingdom of God. Now get that clear. And more do we screw, have we screwed up... Here's another area where we are to share. We're to share what we have received. That's grace. We've all been saved by grace. By grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. And so we are to extend the same grace we have received toward our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's a principle of the kingdom of God. And when we do that, our reputation will be we're people who love God and love each other. And when Jesus was asked by those who were trying to trap him, what's the greatest thing in the kingdom of God? He said, to love the Lord your God with everything you got and your neighbors yourself. All the law hang on those. Then the reputation of the church will change. Now, here's another reason the scripture gives why judgment is prohibited in the kingdom of God. And... and I want to read this. It's uh, back over in 1 John. 
and so you can remember Galatians and 1 John because that's where we're flipping around a lot to. So here in 1 John, again, the fifth chapter, and verse 22 says this. Now listen with at least one good ear. Where am I here? I'm, I'm sorry. It's the gospel of John. I looked at it wrong. Old age does have its problems. 522, Gospel of John. Here we go. I finally found it. Now, this is Jesus talking. This is red letter stuff. You know, if you got one of those red letter editions, this is Jesus doing the talking. And uh, here's what he says. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to his Son. In other words, when we judge people, we're saying, Jesus, move over, I'll take care of this. That ain't a good position to be in. That's his job. Ours is to love one another the way he loved us. That's what it says here. That's what's in the book. I like what the Apostle Paul, when he closed the book of Romans about this judgment nonsense, here's the way he, ju- here's the way he closed it. In the 14th chapter, verses, start at verse 13 and following. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. And this was all about eating food that had been offered to idols. Because you see, the people in the, in the idol-worshiping temples would take a little bit of the food, offer it to their god, have a barbecue eat it, and then what was left over, they'd take down to the meat market and sell it. And you could get it cheaper than you could anywhere else. I mean, Kroger's would have been out of business. And so, they, they, and, and he was saying, and the non-Christians who'd just been one out of paganism would say, hey, that meat's full of demons. You shouldn't be eating that stuff. And he said, you're better off to be a vegetarian than to eat meat that causes somebody else to stumble. You should love your neighbor, brother in Christ that much. And so quit judging them and start helping them is what he's really telling us. Oh, that our reputation in the world would be we're that kind of folks. Now then, in 1 John 4, he deals with this love business, and then I'm about ready to quit. Plain circling the field. I'm doing good. Verse 11 says this, 1 John 4. Dear friends, since God loved us, we also ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. He loved us and we're to share that. With and what does, has love defined? Love is best defined. This is the agape. It means I'm willing to deny myself in order to be a blessing to you. Because Jesus said, the first crack out of the bag, you're going to be my followers. First thing you've got to do before you take up the cross is deny yourself. Love your brother. Now, what's the benefit of this, of, of 
of what we've been talking about. Let me go to John 13, and then we'll quit. Unless you want to take an offering for the Ministry of Relief Fund or something like that. Here's what we would like to see happen and what Jesus was really envisioning for the church. His body, his arms, his legs, his feet. Here's what he was saying. He was talking and, uh, to his disciples and therefore to us. He was telling us that I want you to have the testimony of being the most loving people on the face of the earth. That's what I want you to be. And he says, now I bet you that everybody here can write down on a little piece of paper two or three names of people you would love to see saved. Maybe it's a brother or a sister. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's a husband. Maybe it's a wife. Maybe it's one of your children. I don't know. But it just seems like, and, and, and three or four people came up to me last night and said, you know, I've got a kid, I've got a, and, and they said, well, I don't want to be a part of that bunch of Christians the way they treat each other. I grew up in church, and I know that's true. Well, I did too. Our church scheduled a fight every five years. And they fired the preacher, and they think, we get, if he leaves town, our troubles are gone. But they, it took them a long time to realize that we is the trouble. Now, here's what Jesus said. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you love each other. Within the kingdom of God, folks, we don't damn each other. We give a guy a hand up. A hug. We forgive. Not just so that we can be forgiven, but because the Holy Spirit, if he's the dominant influence in your life, will make you a forgiving person. If the Holy Spirit's the dominant influence in your life, he will move you to give a hand down to somebody. And when they get into trouble, start praying for them and saying, how can I help? Rather than, you're going to hell on a skateboard. This is the way it is, folks. We haven't done too well through the centuries. We need to do better. Help us, Lord, to love each other the way you've loved us. So, Lord, I ask your blessing upon these folks. You know I love them and care for them. Please, Father, through the power of your Holy Spirit, let us agree on bearing each other's burdens, praying for each other for our weaknesses, create an atmosphere where we can confess our faults one to another and pray for each other so that we can overcome those sins that so easily entangle us. Help us, Father, to, to admit to ourselves that we are sinners saved by grace only because you loved us first. 
should we love others and love you. I pray that, that we'll be able to, over a period of time, as we overcome the natural desires of the flesh and mature in Jesus Christ, that the reputation of our little congregation can be in our community. They're the most loving people on the face of the earth. They're kind to each other. They love each other. They bear each other's burdens. So that an unbeliever will look and say, I'd sure like to be a part of that bunch. That's our prayer in Jesus' name. All people said, amen. amen. Folks, a little, just one or two little things. One, my first wife asked me to announce that she's going to be out here. And if you women didn't make the first of the Bible study classes, it's okay, and she's got the books for sale out here. Stop by and get rid of those books so I don't have to pay for them. And then uh, uh, the, don't forget to purchase the tickets to the movie. i tell you what, if we can pick one night, I'll buy everybody popcorn. <laughs> A little bag. You can buy the pop, but I'll buy the popcorn if we just fill up one of those things up one night and, and do that. And there was something else I had written down up there, but the Lord laid on your heart. Be generous with those who are less fortunate than you. God bless you. You're free to go.